Welcome to Poets and Writers, WEHC 90.7, coming to you from the beautiful Emory and Henry College campus. We're on the road today. I'm in Winston-Salem, North Carolina at the School of the Arts with Joe Mills. School of the Arts, my old high school, Gray High School, so I've been enjoying walking around. Graduated in 1962. Spent a lot of time uh, majoring in drama in the principal's office and pretended to play basketball. So Joe Mills, welcome back to the show and how are you today? Thank you. I'm, I'm good. As well as good as one can be nowadays. I mean we've reached a point where being okay is the same as being great in the previous year but uh, I'm very good. Thank you for asking. Well we're both wearing masks today and I'm sure it will not interfere with Joe's voice or pronunciation but you'll have to forgive me a little bit folks around the valley but we're still dealing with COVID, and I'm sure this will be played sometime. Well, it'll be played here in the next week, but it'll also be played probably three or four years from now. And hopefully, you can just remember this as a memory show. And I mentioned the COVID. So, Joe, as we like to ask on the show, where are you from? I, well, I was uh, born and raised in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and moved around a lot up north, lived in Chicago. Then I moved west. I read all kinds of westerns when I was young, and I couldn't. Uh, couldn't get west fast enough and lived in uh, Utah and New Mexico and California and, and eventually I moved south. So moved to Winston-Salem. Uh, I was going to stay here for a year or two and I've been here 20 plus years. Well folks, the reason I like to have Joe on the show, not only is he an outstanding poet, but he is a mix of a scholar and a good old boy. And it's hard to find a mix of a scholar and a good old boy and so we like to have Joe on and his, his poetry you're really going to love it. Many of you requested that we bring him back because he gets to the down-to-earth and the nitty-gritty of poetry. So, Joe, let's start off today with uh, some of your poems, and you have many. And how many books? I like to ask is you how many books have you written? Now? Uh, I, I've written quite a few books. I've written, uh, I think, six books of poetry. But my my seventh book is coming out April. 2022. So in the next two months uh, from when this is being recorded. And I'm excited about it. I'm going to read entirely from that. It's a book of poems about dance. And uh, I'm not a dancer, but I appreciate dance. So you're going to read from your latest book, a book of poems about dance. Yes. Okay. So I'm, ex I'm excited. I've never read many of these uh, because of COVID. Usually you kind of test run poems when you're out doing readings and things, but all those readings we don't do as much. So... So this is going to be the first time for a lot of these poems. So I'm, I'm very excited. All right. Let's have a poem about dance. Joe. All right. Well, you've, you've, I don't think I've also ever been called a good old boy. Well, there you uh, go. Which, you know, I'm not as, not as young as I used to be, so I guess that's more of, a, more of an apt qualifier. Uh, this is the first poem in the book, and I, I was raised by people that would be called good old boys. So this is the first poem in the book. It's called Testimonial. My grandfather worked in a factory his entire life. He would come home after his shift, drink a Schlitz on the porch, then putter in the backyard or driveway until dinner. If something was broken, he could fix it or find a workaround, what he called kludge making, and everyone came to him for advice about motors and construction before they went to the hardware store. Often he would go out to the garage with its shelves of Maxwell House coffee cans full of assorted bolts and screws and washers and gaskets, and find a part they needed, and often parts they hadn't yet realized they needed. No one was surprised to find him wandering through a renovation just to see what was going on, and few had a car he hadn't stuck his head into or under. 
like everyone. He had a fishing boat, but he spent as much time tuning its green Evinrude outboard as he did trolling on the lake. He took weekend naps in a hammock, smoked vanilla Cavendish pipe tobacco, and often would eat a quart of butter pecan ice cream at a single sitting. Dozens of people gave testimonials at his wake, the consensus being he was a genius with a wrench. My grandmother said nothing that night, but in the following years, whenever she heard his name, she would sigh and say, oh, that man could dance. <laughs> That's a beautiful poem there, Joe. And your grandfather was from where? Talk a little bit about his background. So. Uh, my grandfather, you know, I grew up with uh, factory workers and uh, people who were in the military and they were kind of northerners. And I, I don't, you know, know a lot about my heritage or where people came from. We really didn't, we really don't talk a lot about it. My, my father once said, you know, why would I want to trace back and find we're with a bunch of thieves and crooks and people like that, so... Well, I tell you what, I thought you were going to end this, but you said she would say, my goodness, he could dance. Now, did she mean that symbolically or literally? No, I think literally. I, I think, you know, the, the ability to... So the story about my, uh, my grandfather, who was a tall man, we get shorter every generation in my family, uh, he was walking down the street, he saw my grandmother, and he was wearing a, a, a fedora or a bowler hat, and he raised his hat and he said, my name is Emmett Mills and I would like to court you. And that was it. They ended up together. And so. he was a good dancer. That reminds yeah. me of a member of my family. He was married, I think, five times. And each time I asked the lady who married him, well, why did you, you marry him? He had been married such and such a times. And inevitably they would say, he's just such a great dancer. So I guess that's a priority, but not only could your grandfather dance, but he could work with his hands, right. certainly, absolutely. All right, let's have another poem well, from Joe Mills. And I have, a, I have a couple poems, some I won't read today, but, but about that idea of uh, working with your hands and dancing, but also it can get more complicated than that. Somebody like Billy the Kid was known as a great dancer and is also kind of a violent, uh, violent psychopath. So just because you can dance, it's not always a great thing. So uh, this one is called Ever After, but it's also about work. I, I, I end up, I find also writing about work quite often. This is about uh, when I was in high school. There aren't many photos of the after prom party. Plenty were taken before when we were still brushed and tucked. But afterwards, we were too busy drinking and pulling one another into dark rooms to bother with cameras. There are a few candids, dimly lit or washed out in flash-blurred motion. Red skin, red eyes, skin, all of it still smooth. Even when a face is in focus, I no longer know who it is, and I might not have then. There is one photo of a boy half-naked passed out, something scrawled in black marker on his forehead. Potato chips and beer cans are stacked on his body. At the time, that would have been hilarious. Now, having teenagers of my own, it isn't as funny. I remember at some point he began puking, and since we knew about Bon Scott, Bonham, Hendrix, the dangers of choking to death on your own vomit, we rolled him onto his side, feeling smug at this gesture of responsibility, and we continued partying. Then a girl appeared, someone I had known for years but never talked to. She had a mop, bucket, and rags. Somehow, she had known where to get them. She knelt in her dress, 
and cleaned up the boy and the mess with an efficiency that even drunk and in my jackass years I found remarkable. I don't remember the prom theme, where it was held, who I took or why I asked them. I do remember this woman who knew what work was and who did it because she knew it needed to be done. Absolutely, Joe Mills and all of us out there, listeners, many of us have gone to proms and you have to indulge me just for a moment, Joe, and I have to mention I'm here at the School of the Arts, which in 1962 was Gray High School, my old high school. So I remember the senior prom, and I went with Jerry Honeycutt. He called me up, and he said, um, Jerry died in Vietnam. He was a high school football player, All-America, and he was my protector. So he said, are you going to the prom with so-and-so? I said, no, I don't have a sport coat. He said, well, I'll lend you mine. And he came by the house, lent me his sport coat. His mom had made a flower out of those cigarette filters, and I wore that to the junior-senior prom. So I just thought I'd mention Jerry Honeycutt there. And thank you so much for sharing a little bit about the prom, and I know our listeners will appreciate that. So Joe's on a roll here, Joe. So let's get another poem from you. And uh, I know you have many good ones, so I don't want to take too much of your time. Uh, well, you mentioned that we're uh, at the School of the Arts, and because I've, I've taught here for a while, I, I inevitably write a bit about, uh, about the school and about dance and ballet. There's a lot of poems about uh, ballet in the book, um, but I thought I would read this one. It's, as, it's about as close as I get to kind of an arts manifesto. It's called At the Arts Conservatory. At the Arts Conservatory. Music comes from practice rooms. A piano sonata, a cello being bowed, scales on a clarinet. Dancers slide out of studios, bend at the drinking fountain, go to the bathrooms, check their phones. The hall smells of sweat detergent and the latex paint institutions use on cinder block. I'm here to lead a poetry workshop, but for now, I fold against the wall in a way that eases my back and I thumb through messages. In a hospice room in Brittany, my father-in-law is dying of cancer. The doctor says when the pain comes, that will be a signal, the signal. Through a doorway, I can see bandaged ankles, knee braces, thigh wraps, Dancers balance and jump on callous, scarred feet. They are young and beautiful, and I already know a great deal about pain, as do the musicians who talk with familiarity about repetitive stress injuries. And they too may know someone who is dying at this very moment, perhaps nearby, perhaps far away. I turn off my phone and step into a studio, crossing the threshold that clears away concerns, at least temporarily. This is what art making is a momentary amnesia, a pausing. And perhaps that's all it is, because the signal will come for those we love and nothing we do will stop or change it. The students regard me curious as to why I'm there and what I will ask of them. A moment ago I thought I knew, I have a lesson, but suddenly I consider telling them how I used to bring my daughter to the school to watch dances and afterwards she would play choreographer, each time ending stretched out on the floor with her eyes closed. And I consider telling them how my father-in-law lives in Finisterre, which means the end of the earth, a name and phrase I've always loved. From his window, he can see the sea, the edge of everything. And I consider telling them in the hallway, I remembered when my grandfather built a seawall, a man more comfortable with tools than children. He kept grumbling for us to get out of the way. Then once he had shaped the cement, he lined us up to write our names in it. The students watch and wait 
and I find myself saying something neither in my notes or my memory. I'm going to read some poems, and I want you to see if you can tell which ones are by people still alive and which by those long since dead. Some students look worried. Some students lean forward. Okay, Joe Mills. You're listening to Joe Mills on Poets and Writers, WEHC 90.7 today, coming to you from the beautiful Emory and Henry College campus. Joe, let's talk a little bit about where you work, because we're here at the School of the Arts, and that poem was placed here at the School of the Arts, correct? Or that's that's okay. right. That was uh, me before I went into a, a workshop given by a friend here. All right. And I know you, you've been here how long? Oh, I was only going to come here a few years, and I've been here over 20 years. And we were talking, walking up the steps today, folks, we were talking about the history of the North Carolina School of the Arts. And, of course, I named Rot and said I went here when it was Gray High School. And, of course, I think I've told this story, Joe, about the time I auditioned. I did quite a bit of film over here at the film school. And one time I came down and auditioned, and I didn't have a bio and headshots and all that. And they said, where is it? And I said, well, I don't have one. They said, well, fill this out. And I filled it out, and I wrote the old stage. And they said, oh, where is that, in London or where? And I said, no, it's my old high school stage right across the street. They weren't impressed, Joe. I'm going to read you something. I took this off the wall over in the cafeteria today. And this is by Terry Sanford. He was the governor. He and John Ely and many, many other people founded this and had the vision to have this here. And they, that's why it's now at the uh, old Gray High School, because the building was available. But you would not, right, Joe, you would not believe the place today. You yes, talked right. earlier about it's grown. But he said, Terry Sanford said years ago, I would like to scratch on the wall somewhere at the North Carolina School of the Arts, neatly and in artistic fashion, of course. This institution is unorthodox. And you say heretical? How do you Heretical. Heretical. This institution is unorthodox, heretical, and that's by Terry Sanford, who was governor back in the 60s and really was one of the visionaries. And of course, John Ely, we've, had, uh, we've talked about him before, and he was married to Rosemary Harris, the famous actress. So thank you for mentioning in your poem and talking about what you see here. And um, when you walk around here, Joe, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. What come, you, you, you have dance, you have... Talk a little bit about what goes on here at the School of the Arts. It's, uh, it's a specialized place, and it's a special place. Um, we have five schools, School of Film, School of Dance, School of Drama, School of Design and Production, and School of Music. And, and you know, I say repeatedly I was only going to come for a few years, but every time I would go to, to look and go somewhere else... Uh, I would wonder why I would leave, because my students are, are passionate and artistic. They, they teach me about art forms, and they're constantly kind of doing productions. They're constantly engaged in creativity and artwork, which is a really wonderful thing. And these are people who want to go into the arts. Yes. These, these are, are people who want to be actresses. They want to be poets. They want to be musicians and so on. Talk a little bit about some of your students. Well, I think for most of them, their goal is to become uh, professional in what they are studying. And so they want to be a professional dancer or be a professional musician. And I think that is a, a wonderful goal. But as we all know, our lives take us in a variety of different ways. Uh, what I also love is that many of them go on to other careers, teacher, social worker, psychiatrist, a therapist, and it's the training here that allows them, I think, to excel. 
They learn how to work with people. They learn about discipline. They learn about the importance of art. And so they go into a variety of different fields, and I think, I think the training here benefits them for that. Well, Joe, let's mention briefly a couple of, let's say, famous graduates of this school. And I'm headed toward film, of course, but there are others. Is there someone, without putting you on the spot here, you've taught many students, but I know about the film industry, so to speak, and I know that Mud, which was, a, to me, a great movie, Matthew McConaughey was starring in it. Do you remember Mud? And uh, you remember that film and yes, so forth? Yeah, yeah. But, but is there something, uh, someone comes to mind, or do you, I know that you're preparing them for other well, here's, here's it. Okay. Here, here. The, the caveat there is, yeah. yes, we do have many uh, alumni who are working, and I've, I've had the great pleasure of teaching them. I would hate to mention them and make it seem somehow <laughs> that I helped in their success, because I don't think that is true. And some of the ones who are really great, you know, I gave them an environment in which hopefully they could thrive, but that's always kind of interesting. Some of them were terrible students, and I'm like, oh, I didn't want to have them on my roster. And some of them are just really wonderful in, uh, in the props and the different things that they can use. Okay, well, very good. Well, originally, the school was not part of the University of North Carolina. Is that correct? Now yes. it is. And so now when you graduate, you have a degree from the University of North Carolina. I know back in the 90s, I was doing some films here, and they were... Um, they were not of that uh, venue as far as the student. You know, they were here for one thing, and that was to get, get on out to wherever it was they were headed. And uh, I think that's a very good point that you made. Joe Mills, let's have some more poetry today from your... And what book is that? Uh, uh, it's called Bodies in Motion. Uh, it's okay. by Press 53. And uh, like I say, it's a poem about dance, but dance is often kind of the excuse or a way into a particular poem. And... One of the things that I love here, it's not just the students, but the faculty are so talented. I've had the great pleasure to team teach and to work with some of the dance faculty, and that has always inspired me. And I tell my students, you know, I teach writing, but how we talk about composition, the composition of a poem, the composition of an essay, if you go into a, a dance studio, you'll hear them talk about phrase and repetition and how do you, what's the introduction and the opening, it's the same thing in film. So... Thinking about art crosses kind of mm -hmm. different, uh, different genres and different artistic forms. So since we, since we arrived, uh, one of the things the school does do here is it puts on a performance of the Nutcracker every year. And my daughter is now almost 20, and we've been taking her ever since she was two years old. So this is, uh, this is a memory poem of when she was two, and we first took her to the Nutcracker. It's called The Exit of the Bear. We take our two-year-old daughter to the Nutcracker. She's puzzled when it begins, asking, why is no one talking? Because, we explain, they're dancers. If they were talking, they would be actors. She nods as if this distinction makes sense. She's mildly interested until the toy bear lumbers on stage with the soldiers to fight the mice. And then she sits up, fascinated. Nu nu, she cries, French slang for teddy bear. After the battle, when the bear leaves, she asks, Where's new news? Who new news? We say he's gone, which sends her into a meltdown. No! We want to say the bear will come back, but we don't know this. And since we already lie so much in this Santa season, we try to comfort her with hugs and pats as she moans loudly in our laps. Why don't we whisk her away in that parental scooch of embarrassment and contrition? 
It's simply rudeness, perhaps, allowing this toddler's seeming gibberish to spoil the show for those around us. Or a refusal, maybe, to waste the expensive tickets. Or it could be we want our child to learn that holiday traditions are to be gutted out and it's a season of thwarted desires. But maybe, maybe, we implicitly sense that wonder sits with sorrow and we too have been mourning the bear's exit in some form for some time. Maybe that's why so many of us pilgrimage with our children to this show, remembering anew the bear's arrival and hoping, however irrationally, for its return. <laughs> Childhood memories, adult memories, yes, that's a beautiful poem, Joe Mills. And as we move along here on the show, I want to get another one in, and I want to get some more of your poetry in. I told Joe early on, I said, don't hesitate to interrupt me now, Joe, if I start talking and telling too many stories. And I always like to mention Lee Smith, and many of you know Lee Smith from around the valley and started out over in Grundy. And I told Lee one time, I said, now Lee, if I start talking too much, you just don't hesitate to interrupt me. And she said, don't worry, honey, I will. And let me tell you, Lee took over the show. Joe, go with another one. I, I remember years ago I saw uh, Ramblin' Jack Elliott play at the small cafe. And the person next to so he would tell these songs, and the person next to me would say, Sing a song. I mean, he would tell these stories. He would do these rambling stories. The person next to me would go, sing a song, Jack. Sing a song. And I thought, that person is so rude. Right. Yeah. Well, it turned out it was his manager. <laughs> you know, reminding him, you're here to sing. This is, this is what you're here to do. It's like a friend of mine was talking about over here in the gym, the Gray Gym, when it was Gray High School over here at the School of the Arts. And he said he remembered Coach Graham yelling at him. Shoot the ball, Harold, shoot the ball. Yeah, this, is, so, this is what you're here yeah, to do. Okay, Joe, give us another point. <laughs> so, uh, again, we, we, we've been talking a lot about the school, and one of the things I love about the school is my variety of courses I get to teach. Uh, I teach courses on 1920s and courses on film and all kinds of things, and that also lets me pursue my interest. Uh, the really amazing tap dancer, one of the great dancers of uh, the 20th century and the great American dancer, was somebody named uh, Bill Robinson and was known as Bojangles. Mm -hmm. So this, uh, this poem is called The Rise and Fall of Bill Robinson. 60,000 people passed his casket when he died in 1949. Thousands more lined the streets. But now, most know him only from Shirley Temple movies and clips the old, white-headed, seeming Uncle Tom. This is the problem of recordings. What remains becomes what was. What is lost are the live performances, his prime, and his star turns on Broadway. What is lost is his role as the drum major, leading the Harlem Hellfighters down Fifth Avenue after World War II. What is lost is gold-plated revolver put on the table at the restaurant and the insistence, you'll serve me now. A few phrases like copacetic remain, but even the nickname itself, Bojangles, now mainly evokes a fast food restaurant because its white founders liked a song by a white band written by a white singer who met a white hobo in jail who was using the name to hide his identity. He did his famous stare dance with a young girl, and what was lost was a sense of what it meant, ascending and descending and ascending again, all the while tapping out rhythms at his own pace, according to his own steps. The stairs, a physical fact and a metaphor that went beyond metaphor. The heel and toe, the foot striking, the treads and risers, making music, the body, the instrument, the body, the music, the body, the person, 
insisting, here I am. I am a man whose step makes the world thrum. Oh yes, Bojangles. Love the song, Bojangles, and you mentioned Bojangles, and I have to again script in here a little bit. We had a dog by the name of Joe Bojangles, and the reason we did, we were living in a trailer park down the valley here, and a little boy came over. A dog got killed, and he came over and said, I'm going to give you my dog, and he had a little puppy in his hand, and we named it Bojangles, and we loved that dog so much. So you And you brought back the whole essence of Bojangles and, and the ability and the depth of Bojangles. So thank you for sharing that poem, and let's have another poem, Joe Mills. <laughs> just one, just one after we another. We're just what on else? a roll here. What, what else I, do we have? I will tell you what, we got such good feedback on your poetry, and sometimes I have to do a little filler, but I think that, uh, and they usually do too much, but go ahead, Joe, you got uh, one more there. He, he's got a stack of paper. Now, this is your book coming from your book. It's about dance, but it's not entitled Dance. You've got right. a longer title. It's titled Bodies in Motion. Okay. And it's, and it's all poems about dance. Uh, so, yeah, so let me know when you want the last poem, because I know yep. the poem I'm going to end with, which is a short poem. All right, we're going to give you this one, and then... You will have one more after that, Joe Mills, on Poets and Writers Today, WEHC 90.7. Well, this poem is a poem called Matchmaking. A lot of poems in the book um, talk about my love of Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Some of them do so more straightforwardly. This one is a bit different. It's called Matchmaking. I explained to the staff I've been looking for the right hat for most of my life. But the wide-brim ones I like look stupid on me. I don't have the face or the backstory to pull them off. So I settle for the baseball caps that everyone wears, knowing they're not me, feeling false. No one wants to move in hats like that. I explain that I want a hat I can throw across the room and have it land on a bust or a classical rack, something Fred Astaire-like, something styled with an elegant insinuance, something that shows I'm both in control and not afraid to toss it away. A hat that helps me be the person I've always wanted to be. One that would encourage me to dance on people's furniture. And that would have them charmed rather than upset. Do you have something like that, I ask? They say they'll check in the back. And you know the rest. They never return. And I'm left waiting there, holding a hat full of desires in my empty hands. Okay, Joe Mills, thank you for some... Such depth and uh, down-home poetry with a scholarly bent also. And Joe, as we move along on the show today, great producer Ivy Shepard is watching the clock. Let's get in your last poem here on Poets and Writers today. I think, I think I'll use that as a blur from now on. Down-home poetry with a scholarly bent. How about that? Uh, this last poem is called Gratitude. After a dance, thank your partner, no matter how good either of you are. Thank them to acknowledge how unnecessary it is, such dancing, and so how much more of a gift. Thank them for giving you a part of their life. Thank them for allowing you to give a part of yours. Thank you, Joe Mills, for sharing that beautiful poetry and sharing your ideas about dance and bringing us home here on Poets and Writers today, WEHC 90.7. Thank you, Joe, for being on the show. Thank you for having me. And this is Henry McCarthy saying, do not wait up for me. Do not be afraid to stay or still away. I'm going out to write a poem and watch the children play. Thanks again for listening. I wanted more from life than four kids and a wife and a job in a dark Kentucky mine. A 20-acre farm 
With a shacky house and barn That's all I had and all I left behind But at gambling I was lucky And so I left Kentucky And left behind my woman and my kids Into the gay casino in Nevada's town of Reno This Kentucky gambler planned to get rich quick Kentucky gambler, who's gonna love your woman in Kentucky? Yeah, and who's gonna be the one to give her everything she needs? Kentucky gambler, who's gonna raise your children in Kentucky? Hey, who's gonna keep them fed and keep them shoes on their feet? There at the gambler's paradise, Lady Luck was on my side, and this Kentucky gambler played just right. Hey, I wanted everything I played I really thought I had it made But I should have quit and gone on home that night 